I want to ask you a question. Did you know that God does not want you to be miserable? God does not want you to be miserable. And I'm very serious about this, and God is very serious about this. He does not want his Christians miserable. Um, and there, there's two good reasons for that I can give you off the top of my head. Number one, he cares for you, so he doesn't want you to be miserable. But number two, and the focus I have today is miserable people make terrible worshipers and glorifiers of God. <laughs> If, if, if you are not delighting yourself in the Lord, if you're not rejoicing in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, you're not going to worship God with a heart of gladness. You're not going to share him with a zeal that says, I want to tell you about my God. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Now this is interesting because there is one sure path to a miserable life, even for a Christian. Do you know what that path is? A sure path to a miserable, bitter life, even as a Christian, is to try to live with unconfessed, unforgiven sin. Meaning we don't ask forgiveness of it from God. Oftentimes, we will try to excuse our sin. Well, you don't understand. It was, I did it because of this. To minimize our sin. Well, it wasn't that big of a deal. You should see what these people are doing. Or just to ignore it altogether. But I want to tell you today that to try to excuse our sin, minimize our sin, ignore our sin against God will make you absolutely miserable. In, in the Psalms, there are two uh, main chapters that are on this idea of, of sin and repentance. One was Psalm 51 that Dave mentioned a moment ago. The other one is uh, Psalm 32. Psalm 32, I mean, you should read through these things, by the way. Psalm 51 and Psalm 32. Um, but David says this. This, by the way, is after his uh, sin with Bathsheba and then his sin against Uriah, having him murdered. And I would say even his sin against his country and his family because of all the, the consequences that came there. And he, in some way, worked that into his mind to think, well, this isn't that big of a deal. I'm the king. It was tempting. She looked so good. You don't know. I couldn't help it. That's excusing, minimizing, you know, just ignoring. And that's what he tried to do. But this is what he says in Psalm 32, 3 and 4. Do I really not have that? Oh, going to be here. There it is. All right. This is what he says in Psalm 32, verses uh, 3 and 4. He says, for when I kept silent, that is silent about my sin. You can see that in, in context there. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I mean, he, he's talking about... Physical and spiritual pain, misery, groaning all the day long. And by the way, in Psalm 51, uh, one, one 
prayer he says to God is, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And so there has to be something that comes in between this groaning because we're keeping silent, we're just excusing, we're just minimizing, just ignoring, and this joy of our salvation being restored. There's something that happens in between. And I would submit to you that that is to confess your sins, which by the way, confess doesn't mean you just say it, just name it. Confessing literally means to agree with. You're agreeing with what God says about your sin, that it is gross, that it is ugly. And then you ask for forgiveness from God. That, that's that's the, where we're going today because, again, God does not want a band of miserable Christians dutifully serving him. He wants those, he wants cheerful givers, right? I mean, he, just, he wants us to enjoy following him because when we enjoy him, we glorify him more. We show his worth, beauty, and how he satisfies our soul to a world. And by the way, hallowed be your name, right? That, that's the Lord's prayer. Like we, we want to hallow his name. Therefore, we must not be miserable Christians. So if you feel that you have little joy in God, if you have this inner tension, this inner anxiety, this groaning all the day long, if you feel that your strength is all but completely dried up, maybe Jesus has a message for you today. We can read this together. I have uh, underlined in there the part that we're uh, going to study today. <clears throat> This is the Lord's Prayer, if you would uh, read it together with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Father God, we don't want to be miserable Christians. Why would we? And God, you don't want us to be miserable Christians. In fact, you command us to be rejoicing Christians who delight in you. And so, God, would you teach us about forgiveness? Would you teach us about what our relationship looks like with you, about the, the nature of it, both positionally and practically, God? Because we don't want to waste our lives groaning. We don't want to waste our lives in bitterness. We want to spend our lives bringing you the maximum glory as we find our maximum joy in relationship with you, God. Lord, I pray this for myself. I pray this for my people. Make us joyful people in you, even as we pray, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lord, I pray this. In the name of Jesus, amen.
there are some, some foundational principles that we really need to understand as we, we pray uh, this prayer. Again, the Lord's Prayer is a guide. It's a pattern for our prayers that we meditate on the truths found within the, each portion of the Lord's Prayer, and then we respond back to God um, on those meditations and on what we're thinking through there. And so we, we need to understand some foundational truths that are going on here. You notice that Jesus says, and forgive us our debts. And forgive us our debts. And so the first thing we need to understand, this is number one, our sin creates a moral debt. Our sin creates a moral debt. Because you'd say, what is Jesus talking about? God, forgive us our debts. Some of you are like, man, that sounds really awesome if he's talking about wiping out my credit card debt. <laughs> you know, and I'm with you, that, that really would be awesome. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. When we borrow $1,000 from the bank, we have a debt of $1,000 plus interest, of course. But that is a monetary debt, okay? When you borrow money from a bank, you owe a debt to the bank. But when you rob a bank, you no longer owe a monetary debt. You owe a moral debt. There is a massive difference. I mean, when, we, when you think about it, we all know about moral debt and we all agree with it. Like in, in our hearts, we agree with moral debt. You think about a, a kid acting crazy in a toy section, right? They're screaming at their parent, no, I want this toy. I want it. I'm not leaving without it. And then they're like hitting their parent. And we watch that parent say, okay, and put the toy in the cart. What do you think in that moment? That kid deserves punishment, not reward, right? We're thinking if that were my kid, I'd be taking him out to the car and not giving him a present. We, we know that kid has incurred a moral debt. He deserves punishment. He or she deserves a punishment in that moment, not some sort of a reward. I mean, there, there's all sorts of times this, this comes up in our lives. You know, someone cuts us off in traffic and we yell, you know, with the windows closed so they don't hear us. You're going to pay for that. I mean, do we think that they're going to run up to some bad driver toll booth where they literally have to pay a monetary debt for the way they drove bad? Not a bad idea, by the way. Just saying, double fines for not using your turn signal. Um, anyway, we don't, that's not what we're talking about. When we, when we say you're going to pay for that, we mean you have incurred a moral debt. And this, by the way, is why it's so difficult for us to forgive people. They've sinned against me. They have hurt me. I have gone through pain. It's cost me. And I want them to go through pain, too. I want it to cost them. I want to make them pay. It's because there's a moral debt that has been created because of sin. And so we all know about this. We all even agree with it. Yes, that it's right. And so, if that is true on the creaturely plane, human to human, wouldn't it also be true on, on this vertical plane between us and God, between the creature and the creator? 
And the, the biblical answer is absolutely yes. I mean, the whole point of the Bible is that, yes, there is a moral debt that we incur when we sin against God. And there are a couple things that happen uh, with this debt. You say, well, what, what is the debt? You know, what, what do I have to pay? Well, the first thing I would say that, that happens is there is a relational fracture. Again, think about what happens on a human plane. There's a relational fracture that occurs when we sin against one another. But, but God is so holy that, that, that sin cannot be in his presence. There is a relational fracture. Isaiah 59, two, 59 verse 2 says, But your iniquities have made a... Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. That, that's horrible when, you, when it's the God of glory we're talking about. This isn't, well, I'll just make a new friend since I offended them. This is God. Made a separation. And this is a forever separation. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 1.9, talking about uh, when Jesus comes for the beginning of the next era, you know, the, the, the final kingdom, he says that sinners will be cast away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Now, I like how Thessalonians puts that. It's not just that we're cast away from God. We're cast away from the glory of his might, which, by the way, in the next verse it says, the saints will be marveling at. There is a relational fracture that occurs, and that is the, the moral debt of sin. But there is more. There is more because God is infinitely glorious, and because God is the supreme authority, there is wrath. This is just, this is right for punishment to occur because of our sin against God. Romans 2, 5, But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Revelation 21, 8 talks about uh, as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. That, by the way, is everyone. You say, I haven't done some of those things. Yeah, but I've done some of them. <laughs> you know, uh, idolatry, yeah, for sure. Liar, yeah, I've lied. Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Again, we know that even on a human plane, the punishment, the debt incurred, is equal to what we have done, the, the, how bad the crime was. A child hits their brother or sister, you know, and they might get a couple minutes in time out, and that's fitting, that's right. But a person commits murder, they're going to do time. They don't get time out. Justice says that the, the, the punishment, the debt, will be equal to the crime. And God is infinitely glorious. God is the, the supreme authority. And so any time we sin against him, whether in thought, word, or deed, it incurs a debt of relational fracture and wrath. 
I, I want to sit on this for a second, okay? Because again, minimizing sin, oh, it's not that big of a deal. You have offended the God of the universe. That, that offense, that, oh, it's just a little lie, I kind of bent the truth, that deserves separation from God and eternal wrath. Justice demands it. Our debt to God is a massive deal. And we, I, I know we live in a, a trite, frivolous, light culture that we just like everything to be cheery. Our debt to God is not cheery. It is not light. It is not small. This is a massive problem because God is glorious and we have offended him. He is supreme and we have rejected him. We've disobeyed him. Sin makes a moral debt, and it's horrific. So what is a person to do? How are we to have any hope? Number two, our debt must be forgiven. If you're writing these things down or you know, and you have your notes, triple underline the word must. Your debt must be forgiven. Notice Jesus says, and forgive us our debts. He doesn't say, here's one option for how you can have hope in light of your debt. Here's one way to have your debts removed. This is the, the only way. Your debts must be forgiven. We're not, we're not to pray, God help me to pay for my debt. You do not want to pray that prayer. This wrath, this, this cup of God's wrath that would be poured out on us, that will be poured out on all those who, whose sins are not forgiven, will be unbearable and unending. I mean, you just think about it. I put a few verses up there. Revelation 14, 11, The smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. Again, this is justice. To sin against an infinite, eternal God demands infinite, eternal punishment. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction. Daniel talks about everlasting contempt. You can't pay for your sins. You cannot pay this debt. You'll pay and pay and pay and pay, and you'll never make a dent in it. There's the, the song, I shouldn't do this on the fly. Now, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. That's true for the saint, but it's also true for those under God's punishment. You've no less days to suffer the wrath of God. You cannot pay this debt and move on. There is no well, I'll just deal with it, deal with the consequences and move on. No, you cannot pay this debt. Jesus does not tell us in the Lord's Prayer to say, God, help me to do enough good works to counterbalance my, my debt of sin. He doesn't say that. He says, forgive. Your sins must be forgiven. Again, I, I don't want to insult your intelligence or big biblical understanding, but I mean, this is very plain. By works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Romans 3.20. 
Galatians 5, 4, you who would be justified by the law or by good works, obedience to God, you have fallen away from grace. So, so rather than coming into God's presence, into God's grace, out from under his wrath, by trying to work our way into heaven is actually putting us further away from God's grace. We cannot balance this debt with our good works. We cannot do it. But I mean, you think about this again. You say, oh, well, God's just being mean. This is how we would do it with humans. A person doesn't commit murder. You know, have all the evidence points to them. It's obvious. They've confessed to it, maybe even. The judge doesn't say, well, yeah, but you've been a really nice guy since then. You know, you've been kind to people. You took your neighbor's trash can back to their house. So I, I think we're pretty balanced. No. He will still pay his debt. And same with God. A few good works from us do not make up for this infinite trespass against God. We must have forgiveness. But we understand that if God is just, he cannot simply sweep our sins under the rug. He can't simply forgive and forget There is a debt, an outstanding debt that must be paid. And that's where Christ comes in. This is what the the, the Bible was leading up to ever since the fall of Adam and Eve. The coming of this one who would pay our debt. Colossians 2, 13 and 14 says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. How? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. So he just canceled it. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. I mean, it's pretty heartbreaking to think about that as Jesus is nailed to the cross, it's my record of debt, the shame that I deserve, the the punishment, the wrath that I deserve, the, the, the utter filth that I am in and of myself, my sinful self, was put on Jesus, this spotless lamb. And he was slain on our behalf as a substitution, as a wrath bearer, a debt payer. A debt was incurred against him, yet he pays our debt. And that sounds light until you remember, this is the wrath of God. This is what happened on the cross He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all, Isaiah 53 says. And so there is this payment for sin, this debt paid, but that's not enough, by the way. That's universalism to say, well, he paid for sin, so everyone will make it. Nope. Romans 3, uh, 24 and 25, this one didn't make it into my slides, but Romans 3, 24 and 25 says, We are justified by, by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God put him forward as a propitiation, a wrath appeaser, as a propitiation by his blood to be received 
by faith. Friend, you must be forgiven. There is no other hope. And that forgiveness only comes by looking upon the work of Jesus, that he bore our debt, bore our sin on the cross, drank it in full, then rose again on the third day. By, by believing in what he accomplished there, we receive that unbelievable, absolutely necessary forgiveness. And this is a beautiful thing. Now that's foundational, okay, what I've told you so far. But most of you say, I know that, I'm not in kindergarten. What about us who are already saved? What, what about us? You know, we, we've already got forgiveness, so why would I bother asking for forgiveness? It's already been forgiven. My debt's already paid. Okay, think about this, okay? Jesus, at the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, says, Our Father. Okay, so the person who's praying this prayer is addressing God as Father, as one who has been brought into relationship with God, adopted into his family based on the finished work of Christ. So that's assumed that the person praying uh, Matthew 6, 12, our verse for today, is already a Christian, that their debt has already been forgiven in Christ. And yet Jesus still says that we should come to God and pray, forgive us our debts. And some of us can struggle with that. Well, why would I pray for forgiveness when I already have it? What we need to understand at this point is that there is a difference between the covenantal nature of our salvation and the experiential, practical nature of our salvation. Both are true. Both are harmoniously working together. They are not separate but they are different realities. When we trust in Christ Jesus, at that moment, the full love and grace of God is, is on us. We are his child. God has full affection for you. I mean, this, is, this reality is amazing. And, and when you sin against him, it's not as though... He, he pulls his love away as though he stops loving you like crazy. He doesn't. Why? Because that is a covenantal part of our salvation. It is locked in. But there is another part of our salvation, and that is the uh, experiential, practical side. And, and for that, there is still relationship, there is still interchange, there is still sin committed and forgiveness needed. Again, I can give you the most simple example of this is another covenantal relationship that many of you are in, is that of marriage. A little over seven years ago, um, Hallie and I entered into a covenantal relationship. And there before God and before the get witnesses gathered, we said, I, I commit to love you. I commit to be faithful to you. And that will happen till death do us part. We're, we're in. And by the way, that's really good news for me. Because <laughs> um, I, I need her in that covenant relationship. Uh, anyways, when I sin against Hallie, this is true, I'm... When I sin against her, and it happens, I am not fearful 
that she is uh, going to stop loving me or that she's going to leave me or be unfaithful to me. That's not my fear because we have a covenantal relationship. I know she's, you know, between me, her, and God, like she's going to keep that covenant. But you know what does happen when I sin against her? I become miserable. I make her miserable. The whole, the whole relationship, the experiential rela- uh, you know, nature of the covenantal relationship is soured. I mean, come on, we, we've all been there. Like, you know you just said these harsh words, and you don't, but you don't want to talk about it. You, you, you're still just, you know, you're kind of proud, honestly, is what, what it comes down to. I, I don't want to admit that I've done wrong. I don't want to ask for forgiveness. So you come in the room, and you just sort of start talking. Hey, uh, guess what I saw? And it's just like, oh, cool. You say, I know, I'll do some good deeds, right? <laughs> I'll start doing the dishes, I'll sweep up the floor, I'll clean up. But it's, it's just not right. That relationship will not be, be experiential, experiencing that love, experiencing uh, the, the joy of that relationship will not be there. And again, I've experienced this many times until I say, Hallie, I am really sorry I did that. It was wrong of me. I don't say, I'm sorry you took it the wrong way. No, what I did was wrong. I agree that the way that I talked to you, the thing that I did was wrong. Will you forgive me? And it is amazing. I mean, I'm hoping you married people um, have experienced this. It is amazing how quick that relationship can, can come right back to the experience of the beauty of this covenantal relationship. It is amazing. And the same is true between us and God. Yes, we're in a covenant relationship, unbreakable, love, affection. But when we sin against God, the experience of his love, the experience of his affection, the experience of relationship with him is soured. There's this awkwardness. I don't want to come to him in prayer when I know that I've done this stupid thing. I, I don't really want to go to this area in prayer because I <laughs> know that I've done this thing. Groaning all the day long is the result of saying, I'm just going to keep silent about it. I'm just going to keep it to myself. My pride doesn't want me to bring this before God to confess how wrong and sinful my sin was, to have to ask for forgiveness. The further you go down that path, the more miserable you'll be and the less God will be glorified, at least intentionally, through your life. I love how uh, David puts this. This is Psalm 51. So again, Psalm 32, Psalm 51 both about the the same experience. He says there, oh no, sorry, Psalm 32, still in Psalm 32. So this is after, this is right after the verse where he says, uh, I groan all the day long, my strength is dried up. Then he says this, the very next verse, I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. I mean, it's beautiful. By the way, the the very first verse of Psalm 32 is, Blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven. Blessed, happy. You say, we we shouldn't need forgiveness. No, we shouldn't. It's 
bad that we sin, but blessed, joyful is the one whose sins are not only committed, but are forgiven. Confess to God, acknowledge our guilt, and say, will you forgive me? Blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven. And that is what Jesus is saying to us today when we come to him and forgive us our debts. And forgive us our debts. There is a debt that is incurred. For the, for the non-Christian, there's this debt and you're, you're storing up wrath for the day of wrath. But even for the Christian, there's this, this debt that just causes this relational, I don't want to call it a relational fracture because the covenantal nature is not fractured, but the experiential is absolutely fractured. And we, we stop drinking from God as the vine drinks from the branch. We stop uh, coming to God as our, our, our Savior and our, our Father and our friend even. And so we lose the joy of our salvation. We lose uh, our, our happiness in Him that surpasses the trials of this world. And we lose the, the ability to sacrificially live for Him. If you're not happy, you need the things of this world. You need your time. You need your pleasures. But when you're happy in him, you can let it go. Again, God loves a cheerful giver. Someone who is so satisfied in him that they can give of what they have. And that is only possible, friends. Only possible. This is a daily thing for me. Like This is not like a, every month I bring these things. No, this is a daily, momentarily, momentary thing that I've got to say, God, I'm sorry I said that. God, I'm sorry I did that. Sorry I looked at that. I'm sorry, you know, that, that I, I treated the per, this person that way. I just want to encourage you to keep short accounts with God. Yes, your sin is ultimately forgiven. But keep short accounts with God on your, your practical, relational side. This is wonderful news that we get to pray and forgive us our debts. This is the most beautiful news. Again, is the point of the Bible. Yet so many of us, for whatever reason, believing it will make us happy, excuse, minimize, ignore our sin, and it will not work. It will not make us happy, and we will not bring God glory. I'm going to come to how we forgive others, the second half of the prayer next week, but I want to give you a foretaste. I kind of made this decision last night that I really want to focus on how we forgive others for a week. I want us, I want us to sit on that. But, but here's one thing that experiential forgiveness will make happen in our lives. When we can come to God continually and saying, forgive me, and he takes us back. Forgive me, and he, he, not that he ever sent us away, but he embraces us, we'll say. Here's what happens. Forgiven people are forgiving people. This is one of the things that will happen when God gives you that joy in your salvation. This is one of the things that the joy of the Lord that is your strength will empower you to do, is to forgive those who have sinned against you because you have been so forgiven by God, so continually forgiven by God. And our debt to him is infinitely greater than any debt someone else we have uh, between another human. 
I will leave us with that for today. But I, I do want to ask you, is, is anyone walking today in this room unforgiven? You don't even have that, that covenant relationship yet. I'll tell you, there is no other way. There is no other way to have hope for tomorrow or for eternity. A debt to God is no small thing. People just say, I don't really like to think about that stuff. You will be. There will come a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But for some of them, it will be way too late. Go ahead and receive this forgiveness, this payment for your debt that was purchased in Christ. You can do that today. You can, I mean, as long as it's coming from your heart, it doesn't have to be some special words. You, you come to him and you say, God, I know that what I've done is wrong. I acknowledge that I confess it to you. Will you forgive me based on what Christ Jesus have, has done? I can't pay it back, God. I couldn't even pay the debt in hell. God, will you forgive me? And at that moment, you, you're saved. If, if that's coming from your heart, you are saved. It's by grace through faith that we are saved but then for the Christian, are you keeping those short accounts with God? I mean, it, it, it's difficult. It, it's, it's just so much easier. We feel so much better about ourselves if we just excuse, minimize, and ignore our sin. But it will make you miserable. And it won't bring God glory. So I encourage you today. I mean, it's, Jesus is encouraging you to come back to him for forgiveness. Like, what a weird offer. Like, come on, come back. I, I'll forgive you. You know, like, he knows that we're going to continue to fail. He knows that we're going to continue to need forgiveness and relational mending. And yet he says, forgive us our debts. It's a beautiful thing. I hope you'll do it. I hope you'll do it. And again, keep, a sh keep short accounts with other people. Don't hold that debt over them any more than God held your debt over you. Let's pray. Father God, we have spoken today of what we might call elementary truths. But the fact is, these are such foundational and important and weighty truths that we are glad that we got to sit in them from your word. God, we are glad that we got to remember today the seriousness of our debt of sin. And God, we are so glad that we get to remember today how that debt is forgiven in Christ Jesus. We are so unworthy of our debt having been paid in Christ, but you did it. You did it, God. You showed your love for us. You showed that you want to be in relationship with us. And so, God, I pray that you would help us also to, even after we've trusted in you, to let that relationship be good, to let that relationship be what you've created it to be. So let us continue to come to you, confessing our sin and asking for forgiveness, knowing that you're a Father who loves us, and we'll grant it.
Lord, I pray that these things wouldn't just be for our little Christian therapy so that we'd feel better, but that it would be to your glory, that we would be so thankful, so in awe of you, the great forgiver, that we would glorify you with our lives. God, again, we give these things to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.